Welcome to episode two of the story of Lindy Line, written and read by Simon Brooks, copyright 2020. If you missed episode one, please go back and listen to it. You'll need to know who all these wonderful characters are. And once you've listened to it, come on back here for episode two of Lindy Line. Episode two, chapter six, the sword and other education. The kings and queens of some kingdoms might have had their daughters taught only poetry, needlework, and the proper manners befitting, some might say suiting, a princess. While the king and queen of Lindyline had their daughters taught these things, they were given other lessons too. Riley and Avery were also taught how to defend themselves. Riley was already a fine swords mistress and handled an arming sword, backsword and rapier very well indeed. She looked forward to when she would be strong enough and tall enough to wield, some might say handle, a broad and long sword. Both princesses excelled, some might say really good at, using a bow. Both had their own Turkish bows, but Riley had a yew longbow which she loved. They could also use a staff to protect themselves. They were encouraged to write to express themselves and to read a great deal. They often made trips to the monastery to find books to read. This gave them a solid foundation of knowledge to build on. They learned patience and tactics while playing chess. Riley also thought she learned patience through needlework, as this was something she did not enjoy. Her father, the king, didn't see much point in needlework either. We have people here in the castle to sew things if needed, he would say. And his wife, the queen, would always reply, It doesn't hurt to learn these skills. One might find oneself on one's own and need to mend one's own socks on occasion. Nor tackle a ruffian, smiled the king. The king and queen were now walking towards the smithy. Did you send the message to find Michaelmas and ask him to come? asked the queen. I did. Do you think it's true that he has magical skills? We'll find out, I suppose. Only if he comes. And then he has to agree to enchant the sword, said the king. He looked into the smithy and sparks flew up under the hood to the percussive, some say beating, sound of the hammer. Riley! The king bellowed, but the girl did not hear over the music of the smith's forge and the anvil. Riley! he bellowed again. Both Riley and Wayland looked up. Wayland tapped Riley on the shoulder as he laid down the hammer and took the pincers and hot metal from her. Riley pulled the wool out of her ears. Is it time already? she asked. Yes, said the queen, holding up Riley's bow. Riley walked over to her mother, who handed her the bow and quiver full of arrows over the low wall. Riley hopped over it, which caused raised eyebrows from the queen and a shake of the head from the king as he entered the smithy. My arms are tired, though, said Riley, looking up at the queen. You don't have to work in the forge with Wayland, but you do have to take archery lessons, said the queen. But, mother, I'm making my own sword with Wayland's help, of course, Riley added, smiling at the smith. Master Flynn will be waiting for you. Go, and after that you have fencing with Master Randolph. The king was already talking to Wayland by the time the queen returned to his side. From a small pouch tied about her silver braided belt, the queen removed a small piece of parchment. On it were some runes, some say ancient magical symbols. 
The Queen handed the paper to the smith who studied them. Your Majesty, my liege, some may say King, was telling me about these runes, said Wayland. I would, however, with respect to both of your highnesses, like to seek advice from Michaelmas before cutting these into the blade. Well, of course, said both King and Queen. Chapter 7 Son of a Witch The captain of the guard did not like Private Tommy Stanhope. That was why he had chosen Stanhope to find Michaelmas. The captain was hoping Tommy would get lost in the forest and never return. Not a nice thing to do at all. But Tommy Stanhope greatly admired the king and queen, indeed loved them as the true great monarchs, some say king or queen, that they were. Tommy Stanhope believed, and rightly, that they cared about the land of Lindyline and the people who populated, some people might say lived in, Lindyline. Stanhope would do anything for his king and queen and had to do what his captain had ordered. Now you may wonder why the captain didn't like Stanhope. Let me tell you, because it was a little silly, to be honest. One of the reasons was that the captain thought Tommy was a little odd. This was true, but that is not a reason to dislike someone. Some of the best people I know are a little odd. In fact, a lot of people call me odd. It was also said in amongst the ranks, some would say soldiers, that Tommy's mum was a witch. The thought that Stanhope's mum was a witch gave the captain the heebie-jeebies. He was worried that if he disciplined, some may say punished, Private Stanhope, then his mother would come and put a curse on the captain. If Stanhope went missing in action, looking for Michaelmas in the forest, then that would not be the captain's fault. Would it? thought the captain. It was true that Tommy Stanhope's mum was a witch. She was a very good witch. Not necessarily a good witch, but she was very good at being a witch. She was not short and plump, or skinny and bony. There were no hairs on her nose that anyone could see, and certainly no wart on her chin, but she was a witch. Tommy Stanhope went to see his mum before he left on his mission. Ma Stanhope knew a great deal about magic, so cast a few spells, cast a few runes, and had a quick look in a teacup not holding much faith with crystal balls, and found out A. Michaelmas did really exist, B. He was a very powerful man and not to be trifled with, or crossed, some might say don't mess with him at all and be very nice to him or else, and C. Exactly where Michaelmas lived. So, Ma Stanhope, standing tall and proud of her son, gave him a protective talisman, some might say a good luck charm, a large cheese sandwich and an apple of the non-poisonous variety, and a good luck hug and kiss. Oh, Mum, said Tommy, looking up into his mother's eyes. No one is around here and can see us, you daft boy, said Ma Stanhope. Come and give your old mum a big hug. All right, he squeezed his mother. As he lay his chin on her shoulder, he wondered why he had not grown as tall as her. He wasn't that short himself at five feet ten and a half inches in height, it was just that his mum was taller. He blew her long, soft grey hair from his face, and pulling back, looked into her big brown eyes and smiled. He planted a kiss on his mum's cheek, and it took root and grew deep down into her heart, making her proud and happy. Ma Stanhope looked at her son and said, And once you get back after you've done this thing, come and tell me about this Michaelmas fella. I might like to meet him one day. As Private Tommy Stanhope waved goodbye to his mum, he wondered why she had never remarried. She was a good-looking woman, 
Even after having me and living in the woods, thought Tommy. She's a lot smarter than me too. And he turned and made his way to find Michaelmas. Chapter 8 The Visit When Tommy Stanhope had arrived at the hut which belonged to Michaelmas, he took the talisman from around his neck and held it tightly in his hand. He then put his hand in his pocket. If Michaelmas was as powerful as Tommy's mum had said he was, the last thing he wanted to have happen was Michaelmas to rip the charm from his neck and leave him unprotected. When Michaelmas opened the door and the king and queen's messenger stood there, he frowned at the lad. Stanhope saw the frown and it was deep. Tommy clutched the talisman tighter in his fist. Michaelmas looked at Stanhope up and down very slowly. It looks like all you've had to eat is a cheese sandwich and an apple. It's dark outside and cold, and it's very late. Come in and join us for bread and soup. Michaelmas stood to one side to let the boy in. What's your name? asked Michaelmas. I suppose you know mine already, seeing as you came to my house, and you didn't say you were lost. Stanhope, sir. Private Tommy Stanhope of the City Guard, sir. I'm Michaelmas, in case you were still unsure. The wee gentleman sitting on the table is Jack, King of the Elven people, and the Raven is Jonesy. Both are good friends of mine. At first, Tommy did not see Jack, and when he did, he had to stifle, some would say cover up, a startled gasp. Tommy Stanhope had never seen one of the Elven people before. Michaelmas handed Tommy a bowl. There's a bowl, and the soup's in the kettle. There's fresh bread and butter on the table. Help yourself and dig in. Private Tommy Stanhope of the City Guards filled the bowl, and when he finished his soup, filled the bowl again. As he ate, he told his hosts about his mission, that the king and queen of the land of Lindyline had requested Michaelmas's company, and had an important request of his services to make, which they felt would be better to do in person. Michaelmas stopped chewing, at the last part of Stanhope's message, and swallowing said, An important request, eh? What do they want me to do then? Do you know? Tommy shook his head. Sorry, sir, I, I, I don't, sir. Stop calling me sir, said Michaelmas. I've not been knighted. It had been late when Tommy had arrived, and apart from him sharing the message, there was little conversation at the table. After the meal had been cleaned away by the old man, some blankets had been thrown on a window seat, cushions for Tommy to sleep on. Tommy was thankful it was close to the fire. He would stay warm. The others went upstairs. Tommy could hear voices talking, but he could not make out the words. Michaelmas was saying to Jack, This might work out well. It might have looked a little odd, us, well, me, showing up for the feast when I've never been to it before. I'm not sure people, most people that is, think he's still alive, or were ever real Michaelmas, said Jack. What do you mean? Well, you haven't been seen or heard of for a long time. Folks have forgotten about you. Some people tell stories to their children about you to frighten them into being good. You might say that you've passed into legend. Michaelmas laughed loudly at this. So loud was his laugh that downstairs Tommy began to wonder what evil plot they were hatching for him and if Tommy would ever see his mum again. Let's go with this young messenger to see what they want. We'll be there for the feast. It'll be perfect. Chapter 9. Annoying Tricks 
The next day had begun early. The sun shone brightly over the hut where Michaelmas lived in a dappled sun-through-the-trees sort of way. The group had packed enough food for everyone. They had blankets and spare socks, so off they went. At first Jack sat riding the neck of Jonesy, and Jonesy sat on the shoulder of Michaelmas. But there was little said, so Jonesy cawed and flew off into the woods with Jack laughing. A little while later, Jonesy would return to Michaelmas's shoulder. But then off the raven would fly again, but they flew deeper and further into the shadows of the trees. Jonesy and Jack did not return. But Michaelmas said nothing, and Stanhope said also nothing. The forest was still and silent. They had been walking for over an hour with no sign of Jonesy, when suddenly there was a blood-curdling scream from above and something hard landed on Tommy's head. Tommy swung wildly about, thinking some evil creature had descended, some might say dropped, on him. Then Private Stanhope thought that Michaelmas and his cohorts, some might say gang, were on to Tommy's demise, some might say end, until Tommy saw Michaelmas trying hard not to laugh. It had been Jack playing a trick. Then it happened again. Jonesy and Jack flew off and Jack jumped onto Tommy's head. The first time had frightened Tommy. The second time it was almost funny, but it happened again and again and now Private Tommy Stanhope of the City Guards was finding it very annoying. At dusk, when they caught sight of the castle not too far away, Tommy breathed a sigh of relief. Chapter 10 A Little History Lesson and evil plots. I've not talked about the hunter yet, have I? Maybe I should. We need to step back in time a little and explain about one of the neighbouring kingdoms called Birchwood. The kingdom of Birchwood was ruled by a young king called Boris and his younger brother, Prince Harold. Their kingdom was as small as the land of Lindyline and Harold wanted his own kingdom. When a pegasus, an unicorn, was spotted in the forest of Birchwood, it was reported to the ruling brothers. A hunter had tried to capture them. The king had a handsome, some in this case may say large, reward for anyone who brought one to him, alive or dead. King Boris did not like unicorns. Yet, with the powers of a horn of a unicorn and the feathers of the wing of a pegasus, anything might be possible. Harold and Boris discussed the expansion, some might say growth, of the kingdom of Birchwood. I don't need much, Boris, just a small kingdom to call my own, said the young prince. Lindyline, will that be big enough for you, dear brother? replied Boris, running his fingers through his long white hair. He thought about the single day it took to change the hairs from a jet black to white to weaken his limbs, to unstring his nerves, so that he trembled at the least exertion, some might say effort, and was frightened at a shadow. He shuddered at the memory, trying to force from his mind the day in his late teens when a unicorn had run him off the edge of a cliff. He had survived, but had hunted unicorns the rest of his life. It was in Lindyline where it had happened, near Willow Springs and the waterfalls there. Yes, perfect. It should be easy to take. It's a small kingdom and it's very quiet. Nothing ever happens there. I bet they don't even have an army, said the King of Birchwood. Oh, I hear they have a small army of men and another army of 
elves, sneered Prince Harold. Elves? How silly, said the king. Go and gather our far superior, some might say better, army, and tell General Poe to gather the council. We are to make a plan. And so Harold told the general to gather the army of Birchwood, and the council should meet. The king called for the royal hunter who was brought before King Boris. Bring those beasts to me, said the young king. Which beasts, your majesty? said the royal hunter. The unicorn and Pegasus. Bring them to me, said the king, his voice almost a whisper. You have yet to hunt a unicorn, am I right? They are dangerous creatures. I once hunted a unicorn. The royal hunter bowed. I'm sure his majesty was successful, he said. I was not, screamed the king. He calmed himself with some trouble and carried on quietly. It nearly pierced me with its horns, but I leapt to my safety. Get the beasts for me. Bring them back. You are dismissed. Sometimes being young is a wonderful thing. Usually young people have good health, they're strong, think creatively, have great ambitions and a lot of future before them. But being young is sometimes hard, as one can be impetuous, some might say hot-headed or reckless, that one might be unaware of the consequences, some might say effects, of one's actions. Sometimes being older means that you have made a great many mistakes in your youth and hopefully have gained some wisdom, experience from those mistakes. King Boris and Prince Harold were to learn all about bad choices, decisions, consequences and wisdom. The hunter left and searched and searched for the two beasts. He had replaced the previous hunter who had captured what Boris and Harold had thought was the last unicorn, but now there was another, and a pegasus. It was the royal hunter's job to capture them for Birchwood. He wasn't the only one searching for them either. Harold was eager to find them so he could invade the land of Lindyline and he could get his own kingdom. So the young prince had put a bounty, some might say a reward, out on the creatures. He wanted to look good in his older brother's eyes. Maybe his brother the king would reward him instead of a commoner. People searched with hawks, some searched in groups, and others searched with hounds. Sometimes money can blind us, and we do not see properly, or it gets in the way of what we're trying to do. Achimus and Adele were elusive and hard to find, and when the hunter saw them next, he also saw the Unisus, and realised he was looking at a family. He followed the creatures over the border, and into the land of Lindyline. There was nothing to cloud his vision. The hunter remained hidden and never lost sight of his goal. Goals, however, sometimes change. Chapter 11. Beware of Spies The hunter did not realise that Boris had sent spies after him. He also did not know they were not happy and to be honest, if he had known about them, he would not have cared. When the hunter crossed over into the land of Lindyline in the cover of the western forest, he saw the unicorn, Pegasus and Unisus head towards the lower eastern edge of the woods. Much further off to the east of Lindyline, nearer the furthest border, lay the village of Wilhay. The hunter had grown up there. 
The hunter was not alone in having family in both Lindyline and Birchwood. Many people had families in both kingdoms. He had not seen his Lindyline family in many years, but he was not going to Wilhay, at least not yet. The hunter was going to the city. The spies had been following the hunter and had been trying to remain hidden. The fires they made were barely large enough to cook with and certainly did not keep them warm. They were, to be blunt, fed up and tired. When they saw the hunter leave the trail of the magical creatures and head towards what looked like the capital of the land of Lindyline, they were puzzled. Why is he going to the city then? said the one. I don't know, said the other. But he's supposed to bring back them beasts. And there's three of them now. I know that, they stopped talking. I know, or, or think I do. Know what? Why he's going to the city. Why then? How'd you catch a unicorn? With a silver rope, I think. I know, he's going to the city to buy a silver rope. No, you dope, he's not buying a silver rope. That don't work. It's all a myth. It's not a silver rope he's after, said the one. Well, what's he after then, said the other. He's after a princess, that's what he's after. Because, because, because the only way to catch a unicorn is with someone pure of heart, and that's Princess Avery, said the other one. That's right. Cor blimey, that hunter's going to start a war if he kidnaps the princess, and before the armies are ready, said the other. Now, the armies are right behind us, but we could get a bonus if we cause a distraction, said the one. Why bother, said the other. Well, we don't have these creatures yet, do we? And Lindy Lion has all those elves and fairy folk to help them, said the one. And, said the other, we should set the wee folk against the king and queen. And we could set the king and queen against the wee folk, said the one. How so? said the other. Well, I've heard that the king of the elves has a magical harp. He keeps in his oak tree in the central forest. If we're quick, steal the harp and plant it when the hunter takes the girl, the fairies will think the king and queen stole the harp, and the king and queen will think the wee folk stole their daughter. Brilliant! I am, aren't I? And being spies, they knew where the oak tree was. But they also knew there was not much time. And there we leave episode two. Remember, tune back next time. Same place, same channel.